Welcome to Shield Maidens, Women of the Norse World, the podcast that celebrates the remarkable women of the Viking Age. From fierce warriors and powerful queens to wise seers and cunning goddesses, these women left an indelible mark on history. Join authors Johanna Wittenberg and K.S. Barton each month as we explore the stories, achievements, and impact of Norse women. Hello, and welcome to Shield Maidens, Women of the Norse World. I'm K.S. Barton, the author of the Norse Family Series, a Viking saga of a blood feud between two brothers with love, revenge, and sacrifice. And with me is Johanna Wittenberg. Hi, Johanna. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. And you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. I'm excited to get into our topic today. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Today we'll be discussing shield maidens in Norse mythology, which is one of my favorite topics. So for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast in the two previous episodes, we discussed shield maidens in the written sources and also shield maidens discovered in archaeology. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, go check them out. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe on your platform of choice. That helps us out. And reviews are helpful too. So if you really like us, go and give us a, a nice rating. All right. Today, we're going to be talking about shield maidens and maybe a few other remarkable women from Norse mythology. So the first one who comes to mind when we're talking about warrior women, shield maidens from Norse mythology is, of course, the goddess Freya. Yes, Freya was the goddess of love and beauty, and that's probably what she's the most well known for. And her name means, it means lady, but more than lady, it means a woman who owns property and is often used to refer to noble women. But Freya was also a war goddess who taught Odin magic. And she was so powerful that she took the first pick of the warrior dead for her hall, Seisrumnir. And then Odin got those who were left over for Valhalla. So Freya and her brother Freyr and their father Njord first came to live with the Esir gods as hostages. There was a war between the Esir and the Vanir gods. And they nobody could win. And so in order to settle it, they traded hostages. Freya also has a cloak of falcon feathers that enables the wearer to fly. And in most of the stories about her, somebody borrows it, usually Loki. And she has a golden necklace called Brisingamen. And it's said that she slept with the four dwarves who made the necklace in order to obtain it. Freya drives a chariot pulled by cats. And according to Snorri Sturluson's Heimkringla, Freya is the only god who survives Ragnarok or the end of the gods, the twilight of the gods. I love that she drives a chariot pulled by cats. <laughs> they have to be pretty big cats, I think. Yes. Well, those, those. The Norwegian like forest cats, they're quite large. <laughs> yes, they are huge cats. And that's always kind of what I imagine that the Vikings had. Yeah. My main character, she has an affinity for cats and she has a cat. One of her kind of like a bridal gift is her her new husband gives her a cat even though he hates them <laughs> he hates cats but he gives her one so yeah i like to imagine them these big fluffy cats that yes. are pulling freya's uh, uh, chariot i yes. read somewhere that um giving a bride a cat was a tradition in 
the Viking Age and before. Maybe oh. just to get rid of the rats. Probably. <laughs> Very helpful yeah. around the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that until after I had written that. And I was like, oh, that was just one of those nice little moments where I included something. Serendipity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Freya is also, in some cases, considered the chief of the Valkyries. And I know that, Kim, you've done a lot of research into Valkyries. So would you like to tell us a little more about them? Yes. Their name basically means choosers of the slain, and that's what they do. They, The Valkyries are these women who go to battlefields and choose the warriors who are going to either Freya's Hall or Odin's Hall. And it's not entirely clear how that actually happens. You know, are they given some kind of a a mandate like okay this these people are coming or is it basically odin says i want this particular king to win this battle and then the valkyries decide like which men go like there's not really a clear understanding of exactly how that works for the sources that often don't include a lot of stuff about women there is a lot of information about like how the valkyries look and some of the ways they they are portrayed so one of them is Grimnismal. It's in the Poetic Edda. And in that story, it's a long story where Odin is, he he shows up at a king's hall in disguise and the king treats him badly and basically imprisons him in a dungeon by a fire. And a young man befriends him, the, the king's son befriends him. And he, Odin tells the kid all kinds of stuff. And one of them is about the Valkyries and all of their names it's that's where it's mentioned that they bring ale to the Einhiriar, which is Odin's army, the men who are in Valhalla. He names a lot of Valkyries, which is really interesting. And and they often their names often mean battle or you know spear projector or you know all kinds of battle names and and things like that. One is uh, I'm gonna probably not say it right. Plok. And it that's means, a tough one. <laughs> that means the cry of an eagle, which I just love. I just love that that imagery of maybe she's a Valkyrie who comes screaming down from the sky to to take her warriors. <laughs> so that's that's a, a source where a lot of them are named. And then there's another poem, Hrafen's Mall, the words of the raven, where there's a conversation between a Valkyrie and a raven. She's asking Ray, the raven why he's showing up with like his, he's been eating the dead, right? That's what the, the ravens do. And so she's asking him and he tells her all about Harold Finehair. But this is where we get a description of this particular Valkyrie, at least. She's described as bright haired, bright eyelashed and pale throated. So that means she probably has blonde hair and really light eyelashes too. So one of those women who has really, really blonde hair and pale throated too. So she's, she's fair skinned. So this likely means that she was a member of the upper class. She maybe could have been like the daughter of a King or something like that, because pale skin meant that you didn't have to go work outside. And it was mostly just women of the upper classes who could get away with not having to go and work outside. And it's been, it was like that for a long time. <laughs> it's interesting how they idealized blondes too, because apparently they weren't, you know, the majority of Vikings were not blonde, but they would wash their hair in lye soap to lighten it. And the men did it as well as the women. So 
uh, it was definitely something they aspired to. Yeah, it's interesting that it's that even then it was it was something that was highly valued. So then there's another and one of the aspects that we often see with Valkyries is that they have some kind of like a swan skin or swan cloak or feather cloak or something. And I think that probably relates to Freya's falcon cloak. It might be a similar thing, even though it's often referred to in the actual stories as skin or maybe it's just translated as skin instead of like a cloak or feather. Yeah. So there's one, there's a, a poem about Voland the Smith and Voland is an elf. And he and his three brothers found some Valkyries by a lake shore and they were spinning the either linen or thread or, you know, they were spinning something and the brothers take these women and they marry them. Now it's when I reread the poem, at least that part of it, it wasn't clear whether the women went willingly or whether they were abducted by these men. And I always had this image in my head and I don't know if I had like read a translation somewhere or what, that the men had stolen, that the women had taken off their skins, their Valkyrie skins and like laid them aside while they were by the lake. Maybe they'd been bathing and that the men then stole the skins and that's why they weren't like Valkyries anymore. Yes. I've definitely read that. And that that was the reason they were, the men were able to kidnap these Valkyries and take them as wives. But when I actually read the the thing again, the poem again, it didn't. It just said they like went home with them as wives, and I thought, hmm, maybe there's another story somewhere that I haven't seen. Maybe well, Voland another... is a ancient, yeah. a very ancient story, and there's Wayland the Smith, which is an English version of it, a British version. So it's it, there's numerous versions of it. So I I think there's probably more than just the one that we think of as Voland. Yeah, probably. Voland, that's a tragic story. It is. <laughs> but yeah, so then the, the the three women go with the, with the three brothers who had taken their swan skins, and then they're married to them, and they stay with them for seven years. Before we started recording, Johanna and I were talking about how important numbers are in a lot of these stories. And, you know, anybody familiar with fairy tales or any kind of mythology can recognize when these numbers show up regularly. We have seven, three, nine, sometimes 12, but three brothers stealing three women who stay married to him for seven years. That is a very mythological, even um, fairy tale-ish. Absolutely. And um, it's when the, the, three, the three Valkyries discover their swan skins that they depart after seven years, as oh, that's right. what I've read. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yes. so they 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 get their their incarnation back as Valkyries. And then that begs the question, like, so do they only have power as Valkyries if they're wearing that skin, that swan exactly. skin? Is that magical somehow? Is there some kind of a, a rite that they have to undergo to become a Valkyrie where they have to be have the skin put on them? Almost like a king or a queen or somebody is anointed and they put the the robe on and, and, you know, is this, is this part of becoming a Valkyrie as you get the skin and then you have to wear the skin to have your powers? Well, and in the myth, Freya's falcon cloak, you have to be wearing it in order to fly. Mm-hmm. Anybody who puts it on, including Loki can fly, but you, it, you know, it, that's where that power comes from, the mm-hmm. ability to fly. 
So they they seem they do seem to be related. And yeah. of course, a falcon, you know, is a predator, whereas a swan is not. So I don't know how that relates either. But there have been places where I've read suggestions that Freya was the chief of the Valkyries, mm-hmm. although that's not known for sure. But it's a theory. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. And like you know what you're saying, why swans? Why do they need this? Where did this come from? Anyway, that's I, I guess that's why people like us write fictional books because there's so many questions and not enough answers. So we just have to come up with our own answers and fill Absolutely. in all these blanks. Mm-hmm. Like there's not even a, a real, I've never seen anything much about how do they even become Valkyries? There's one story where the young woman is a daughter of a king and they do some kind of a rite under an oak tree, but they really don't say much more than that. Like, are, were there sacrifices involved? Did they call down Odin? You know, what were they doing and why was was she a Valkyrie? Was there some reason? Was she showing magical abilities? And so they, anyway, but yeah, there's just so many questions and not enough answers. <laughs> Absolutely. So in one famous story, it's Brunhilde, which Johanna talked about in our first episode. So she's a Valkyrie who disobeyed Odin. So he had told them which king he wanted to win in a battle, and she gave victory to the other king. And do you know why she did that? Is there anything in the stories about why she did What I've read him? is that she favored him. She just, she had she a crush on him. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Odin favors kings for no reason other than he just does, or he just wants to mess with people. So why not Brunhilde just favoring this other king? Exactly. So for punishment, Odin imprisoned her in a ring of fire. And only a man who knew no fear could pass through the flames to free her. And then she would have to marry him, which I think is hilarious that her punishment is having to marry a man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and interestingly enough, there's also, you know, another tale about her. There's there's a couple of versions of Brunhilde's tale, which we mentioned earlier. She's also in one case, a princess, not a Valkyrie. Mm -hmm. And she uh, doesn't want to get married. And so she imprisons herself in the ring of fire and she's fully armed. She's wearing armor. And she says that only a man who can get past her, uh, her defenses can, will be her husband. Uh, and then there's the whole mix up, you know, between Sigurd and, uh, between husbands, and then the story goes on from there to become, you know, very tragic. But there's several versions of it. And in one case where she's a mortal woman, she's the sister of Attila the Hun. So oh, yes, that's true. That. But it could be the, the story's that old. Well, yeah, it could just be that there were certain parts of the stories that were the true parts. Or maybe not. I shouldn't say true. But like the most important parts of the story was that only this brave man could get to her, whether she did it herself or or it was a mixture, maybe Odin punished, you know, punished her because she disobeyed him. And then she said, well, if I'm going to have to marry someone, I'm going to make sure he's the bravest man around. Right. So if I have to be married, he's going to be the best of the best. And that's why Sigurd gets to her. But like all the other little details can change with the telling. Exactly. You know? And when we're talking about fairy tales, that's a very fairy tale-ish tale she's been punished and she's 
put herself or, you know, been put in this place and she's locked away and she's got this ring of fire and only someone brave, you know, the brave quote prince can, can come get her out of this or whatever. So it, that's a very fairy tale story too, except it does not end like a fairy tale. Yes. <laughs> There's no happily ever after. And quite a few of our, the fairy tales we know have their roots in ancient um, tales like this that do not end well. Most right. of them end tragically. Sleeping Beauty and Snow White are others, and those we can maybe get into in a future podcast mm. because that's a really interesting uh, thing, how the, how those stories evolved into mm. the Middle Ages and even later, and were finally you know put into modern literature. Yeah, the Little Mermaid doesn't end like the Disney version either. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really tragic. It's kind of bittersweet, but yeah. Yeah, yeah so. it's not it yeah, there's no happily ever after. Is there ever a happily ever after in any of these sagas? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> only only in later versions of them. Maybe because they're usually pretty grim. <laughs> they are. They are. And then there's some other stories of, there's one story of a, a, a hero named Helgi who, for some reason, he doesn't have a name. And so he was sitting on a hill, just kind of sitting there when nine, there's that number nine again, Valkyries passed him by. And one of the Valkyries, Svava, she was taken with him. She fancied him and she stopped to talk to him. He found out he didn't have a name. And so she just named him Helgi. She was also lovely and fair. He called her a lovely woman. But then he started flirting with her and saying, well, I'm not going to accept my name until you, I get you as a gift <laughs> along <laughs> with this name. And so there was, there was some flirting and she ended up helping him, being his protector, defending him in battle, keeping him safe. And then he became a great king. We're going to hear a little bit about Helgi later too. And interestingly, the name Helgi um, actually means holy. And so mm -hmm. does the name Helga. They both mean holy in Old Norse. Yes. I have a character named Helgi. It's a good name. It is a very good name. He's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then later when Helgi was speaking to a Jotun, she wants to kill him and all his men. They also refer to this, this Valkyrie, Svava, as a beautiful lady, uh, the, the Jotun called her a sparkling girl. This is a story of, you know, a, another place where the Valkyrie is described as, as beautiful, you know, sparkling. I'm not sure exactly what that means in the context. Does she have like really light colored hair that maybe shines in the, in the sun? You know, does she have sparkling eyes? I'm not sure what that means, but it's probably a term of beauty. So I would think so. Yeah. So it's not just our modern versions of Valkyries where they're beautiful and desirable to men. And it was, it was in a video I watched from Jackson Crawford, the Norse scholar, where he was talking about how he thought the Valkyries were this personification of a man's lust for battle. So like the lust for a woman and the lust for battle are similar. And they, I don't know, it's like these Valkyries were created to be like these, these, yeah, personifications of this battle lust or lust in general. That kind of sounds like a man's interpretation to well, me. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> I'm not sure I totally agree with that. But yeah, 
It's it's an interesting theory because they are if you know if they're described at least at least these stories where they're described as desirable and lovely and you know fair haired and all that stuff. But there are others where yes. they are not. <laughs> they are much less desirable and actually pretty scary. So in uh, Njal's saga, which is a very popular saga, especially in Iceland, I think they that's like one of, one of their like their country story kind of thing. They love it so much. So within that saga, there's another story about a man named Dorand. And this, I think, takes place in Ireland. And Scotland. Scotland. Okay. Okay. And Dorand finds 12 women and there's 12 <laughs> yep. and they, he, he catches them as they're disappearing into a woman's house, which is a house where women do their weaving and men aren't welcome typically in the women's house. And so he peeks in the window and he sees these women working on a loom, but it's pretty horrific. They're, the men's heads, like skulls of men were used for the weights that hold the the threads down. Men's intestines were used for the the weft and the warp. Those are the two, the, the threads. The threads, one goes horizontal and one is vertical. And then the, a sword was used for the sword beater. The beater is the thing that tamps down the the threads to, to hold them tight. And then an arrow was used for the pin beater. And I'm blanking. I have no idea what a pin beater I can't beater remember is, what the pin beater was. I've anyway, never read about it. It's probably another thing that tamp holds the threads tight. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's a pretty gruesome. This isn't some sparkling girl <laughs> that is doing this. And then they, you know, they they had these verses about battles. There was with gore and slaughter and just lots of really very these, bloody. Yes, very bloody and very gory. And then when they finished, they're singing this particularly gory song. They tore down the finished cloth and then they tore it to pieces. And then each one of the Valkyries kept her own piece of this cloth. So that's a very different version of Valkyries. So they are deciding a man's fate, but they're doing it through this weaving and this tearing and using intestines and skulls. And it's very gruesome, horrific. Very different than some of the other stories that have been kind of Critified, I think. Yeah. And I wonder if it's, if this was an older story, if these were like, this is what originally the Valkyries were. And over time, they just became more and more what we now think of as Valkyries. I, I I've read quite a few things about that. And, um, you know, this supposedly was about the Battle of Clontarf, which took place in Ireland during uh, around the year, I can't remember the exact year, but it's past the year 1000. Um, But then there are other scholars who think it may have been an old, much older story that was then, then assigned or included uh, in the battle of Clontarf. So that's kind of interesting, but it's quite a vivid story Mm -hmm. for sure. Because stories change all the time, you know, by the storyteller and the region. So a story told in Scotland about the Valkyries is going to be very different from a story told about the Valkyries in Denmark or or Norway or something like that. So it could just be a regional difference. Could Absolutely. Be a difference. I mean, we have to remember that the Viking Age was several hundred years and it 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 encompassed a huge part of the world, you know? You know, you have Iceland and all the way down to Denmark, which is basically right on the continent. So 
so the stories are going to change. I mean, maybe that one was since it was up in Scotland where the Vikings were. Yeah, the, you know, the, man raiders the, and... the man who had the uh, vision was in Scotland, but the battle was taking place in, in Ireland, near uh, nor- just north of Dublin. And it was uh, Brian Baru, the battle with Brian Baru. Um, but what we don't know for sure is whether this poem was at, or this poem was actually written for that battle or whether it was an older one that was included in Njal's saga. It's hard to say. Mm-hmm. I think Eagle's saga also uh, included some of these details. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's so much going on in Eagle's saga that <laughs> I know it. <laughs> really. so much. So what there you- are some other warrior maidens besides valkyries and i think you have a very entertaining story about one of them (laughs) scotty scotty yes she is a jotun in in case listeners don't know the jotun are what people often refer to as giants but they're not necessarily giant they're not necessarily that big they're another race of supernatural beings who are often in conflict with the Aesir gods, which are the main gods that we mostly know of, Odin and Thor in them. So I'm not sure if it was just an early translation or what, but they're not necessarily, they're not all giant. There's a few stories where they're pretty big, but Skathi is not a giant. She's just a Jotun. She's just another supernatural race of being. And she was known for loving high snowy mountains. And she is often depicted in stories and visuals with a bow in her hand and on skis. So there's a really famous one where she's skiing down a mountain and she's got, a, as she's skiing, she's got a bow in her hand. And I love that image. And she lives in a mountain hall of Thrymheim, which means thunder home, if that tells you. I love that. <laughs> I love thunder and lightning. And her name means harm or scathe. Skathi, that's where we derive our word for scathe. So I think this implies that Scathi is no pushover. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Scathi, her father was Thiazzi. He was also a Jotun. And Thiazzi was killed by the Esir gods. There's, there's another story where he had, he had tricked the goddess Idun to steal the apples of immortality, or at least the apples that allow the, the, the gods to not age. And the Aesir gods ended up killing her father. So in the Norse world, killing a loved one does not go unchallenged. Pretty much all the sagas are based on something rather like that. Somebody kills somebody and you have to get revenge. So Skathi wanted revenge for her father's death. So she put on her helmet and and the chain mail and she got all her weapons and she went up to Asgard to avenge her father. So she shows up at the door or the gate or the wall or whatever is surrounding Asgard. And she wants, she demands revenge. And even though she's outnumbered and they have, the Aesir gods have Thor on their side, they, the gods decide to reconcile with her instead. So they offer her that she could marry one of the gods, but she can only choose by looking at their feet. Skathi, she's smart. So she makes a choice and she picks the man <clears throat> they line them up. They line all the male gods up with like a curtain or something, you know, so only their feet show and she can't see their faces or their bodies or anything. 
So she looks at them and she says, oh, well, she's going to pick the God with the cleanest, most attractive feet, thinking, well, that's the God Balder because he's beautiful. So she wants this God. Well, it wasn't Balder. These lovely feet belonged to the sea god Njord. So Njord is one of the Vanir gods that you had mentioned, Johanna had mentioned earlier, who were hostages. And he is the father of Freya and Frey. And apparently... One of the benefits of being a sea god is you have very clean feet. (laughs) (laughs) Always waiting. (laughs) Yes. Maybe all the sand helps clean them off too, so they don't get calloused and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So she was a little disappointed in that, you know, she was really hoping that it was going to be Balder, but you know, this, she's going to stand by her word to marry the god. And, but before she will leave Asgard, she makes one more condition that the Esther gods have to make her laugh. <laughs> I think this is a really strange request. I don't know why she did this, but and this and then this is where it gets really weird. So to make her laugh, Loki, of course, Loki, he gets involved, he gets a rope and a billy goat. He ties one end of the rope to the goat's beard and one to his own testicles. Like <laughs> Only in the Norse world would this (laughs) be a thing. (laughs) So then they proceeded to have a tug of war. Of course, Loki is screeching and squealing in pain as the billy goat tugs on him until he falls into Scotty's lap and she laughs. She finds this hilarious. So I guess, you know, if if somebody was involved in the death of my father and he was having his testicles yanked on by a billy goat. I would probably find that funny too. (laughs) It's really kind of hard to put yourself in that place though. (laughs) (laughs) Scotty and Njord don't, don't have a happy marriage. He was a sea God. She was a Jotun of the mountains, but they tried so they decided that she, he would live in Thrymheim, her hall, for nine nights. There's that number nine again. And mm-hmm. they would live in Njord's home for three nights. Well, after the nine nights were over in her mountain home, Njord had had enough of the cold and the snow and the wolves were howling. He hated it. So then they tried his hall by the sea. And by the time the three days were over, Scathy was miserable. She didn't like the seagulls that were screeching. She didn't like the waves crashing. It was just wolves howling and screeching gulls. Neither one of them were happy. So, And they couldn't agree on which place to live. So then in a an unusual display of reason and a lack of animosity for these Norse gods, Scathy and Njord decided to live separately. So he'll live by his place by the sea. And she's going to live in her fortress in the mountains. And they never, they stayed married, but they never lived together again. And they lived happily ever after. Uh, there, there you go. Well, there you go. Hey, not the fairy tale ending, but it's not quite <laughs> how we pictured it. <laughs> they didn't live together, but they were happy. Yes. And she did become incorporated into the family of the Esir gods. And she even treated Njord's children, Freya and Freya, as if they were her own. Most magnanimous of her. Yes. Which, like I said, was a little bit unusual for for the Norse gods. It was. But her story is not over. So there's a poem called Lokasena, which features Loki behaving very badly. Even for him. (laughs) (laughs) 
yes, all the gods are having a feast. He kills one of the servants who's serving, and that's just really bad form to, you know, kill kill your servant (laughs) at a feast. So they kick him out. He comes back and he just starts ranting and raving and insulting all of the gods and goddesses who are there. And pretty much everybody's there. So he taunts Scotty by saying, oh, well, you were happy when you were in my bed, you know, basically slut shaming her as he slut shamed Freya and Frigga and everybody. She eventually got revenge by taking part in Loki's punishment after he killed the god Baldur. So that's another story. We're not going to get into that story. After he did that, he Loki fled because the gods were really upset And once Odin and the other gods caught him, they punished him. So they tied him up, binding him with the entrails of one of his sons, which is pretty horrific. But that's not all. Skathi then dangled a serpent over Loki's head and it drips poison onto his face. So he's in this eternal torment. His wife, though, who we only hear about in this particular story, as far as I know, she catches that poison on a bowl in a bowl, but she eventually has to go and dump it out when it gets full. And when she does, it drips onto his face and he writhes and screams in pain. And apparently that's where earthquakes come from. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't happen to a nicer guy though. Yeah. So that just goes to prove that no one, not even Loki can shame Scotty so, and get away with it. She will have her day. <laughs> Well, interestingly enough, um, Loki is not a god. He's not an Esir god. He's a Jotun himself, True. but he is Odin's blood brother. And that's how he ended up in Esir in, in Asgard. And I don't know how he and he and Odin really became blood brothers, but that's how he got his entree into the god's world. Right. Isn't it um, even a thing that he, Odin won't drink wine unless Loki's with him. Like yeah. he will never be in this. He won't ever do it without Loki in the room. Exactly. Yes. And so that's how he gets his God status. Just like Scotty gets her goddess status by becoming accepted into the Esir gods, but she is a Jotun as well. And Jotun women feature very prominently in Norse myths. Uh, they're objects of desire as well as fearsome warriors. And in some tales, the Nornir are even considered Jotun women, but I'll get into that later. But Loki, before he married this goddess who was holding the cup over his head for the poison, he had another wife. He was married to another Jotun woman named Angerboda. They had three children. Their children were monstrous. One was the giant serpent Jormungandr. The other was the wolf Fenrir, and the third one was Hel. And they were all living in Jotunheim with their mother, Angerboda, while Loki was off gallivanting around. And one day when Angerboda was gone, the Esir gods came and kidnapped her three children. And they, because they were so afraid of them, they cast Jormungandr into the sea where he became a giant serpent. They chained Fenrir to a rock after tricking him. And Hel was cast into the underworld to rule the dead. And that that the dead she rules are all of those not claimed by the Valkyries. She's described as half living and half dead, half beautiful and half ugly. 
and she holds Odin's son, Balder, prisoner in her hall. There's a whole long story about that, but the way to hell is guarded by another Jotun maiden named Mudgudr, and she is the one who guards the famous golden-roofed bridge to hell that goes over the river Gjol. And that river means noisy because it's full of serpents eating the evil dead. Now, the Nornir are supernatural women who weave men's fates. And uh, they are the pattern for the witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth. The youngest Norn, Skuld, and her name means that which will be or that which is becoming, She's named by Snorri Sturluson as one of the Valkyries. So there's some confusion about all these different supernatural women, which we'll get into in a later podcast. But we have the Nornir, the Desir, who are uh, the equivalent of female elves, uh, but they also may be the female dead, the ancestors. But the Nornir were represented by the sorceresses or the volir, and they were present at the baptism of infants, and they predicted the child's future. They evolved into the three fairies in Sleeping Beauty. Kim, you know another story about the Nornir. Yeah, it's about the hero Helgi, who we mentioned before had run into the the Valkyrie. So the Norns visited him as a baby in the night. And then they decreed that he would be a famous king and like the greatest of all men, that kind of thing. And they even laid down bands of gold in the night sky, which looked like threads. So it's all very interesting because you find little bits and fragments of these. Uh, In another story, Rolf's saga Kraki, there is a queen. He has a half sister. She's half elf and half human. Um, and her name is Queen Skuld, not to be confused with the Valkyrie. She is able to raise an army of supernatural beings and the dead. And with that, she attacks her brother. And oh, that's in- interesting. Is that, that makes me think of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings when Aragorn summons the army summons of the, the dead. dead. Yep. Oh, I had not recognized that connection before. Yeah. Well, I know that Tolkien was very much influenced by um, the Norse sagas and the Norse myths, and he was an expert on those. And we'll get more into some of these supernatural women in another podcast where we talk about about magic and the supernatural and sorceresses. That'll be great. Mm-hmm. We might have to break that up into two episodes because we there's might. so much there. Yes. But I always, I think it's just really interesting and not just in Norse in mythology, but in some other mythologies as well, that it's the female deities who decide the fate of men, Yes, who are often the, the guardians of, of the underworld or uh, isn't it Hecate in Greek mythology who guards the crossroads? Yes. And doesn't she, I think she has, you hear, if you hear dogs barking, I think it's dogs barking. That might mean they're traveling, somebody's traveling to the dead because I think Hecate is, is equated with dogs or something, but something like that. But yeah, it's a goddess who guards the thresh, threshold of the crossroads. I think she's also like a triple goddess. It could be. I'm not familiar. Might, there might be three aspects to Hecate. It's been a while since I've, I've, studied my Greek mythology. (laughs) 
Well, there's definitely relationships between the Romans and the Vikings because uh, some of their fighting forms are taken directly from Roman fighting. So they did have contact at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and the Vikings really capitalized on that. And no doubt some of their mythology comes from there or was at least influenced by it. Yeah. Or maybe this idea of female deities as these women who decide fate, maybe that's something that's just common across many cultures. You know, I wonder, I haven't studied enough mythology in other places and other cultures to know, but I wonder if that's like one of those almost universal things that it's maybe because women bring human life into being. So exactly. the women are the ones who take them out. Very possibly. It's very interesting. Very fascinating. Very interesting. And lots of questions that we'll probably never get answered, but we get more information every day. Well, that's true, especially with the archaeology. They keep mm -hmm. just discovering new things all the time. And wouldn't it be, I just keep thinking about how amazing it would be if like more pieces of the poetic Edda, you know, more of these ancient poems somehow showed up somewhere or you know, something. That would be Absolutely, yes. amazing. So fascinating. Yes. All right. Is there anything else? No, anything I, I left out or anything. I can't think of anything. It's very, you know, we could certainly go on and on. But <laughs> I think we have to stop at some point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yes. Well, you know, if we're talking about shield maidens, you know, we definitely needed to talk about Valkyries and Freya since she's probably, you know, the head Valkyrie and she chooses, she gets to take half of the dead to her hall. And, you know, as since we've been talking about these shield maidens, you know, uh, the last episode where we talked about the woman in Birka and some of the others, I started wondering if maybe Freya also has these women warriors in her hall. That's where they go. So the men go to Valhalla and any women who fall in battle or by fighting, they Freya takes them. Yes. And I have come across a few allusions to... Um, women going to Freya when they die Okay, in some of the sagas. So it could be, it's yeah. very possible. I'd rather go to Freya's hall. Me too. <laughs> the hall, it doesn't sound very pleasant. No, no. <laughs> the benches fighting the ben all day and feasting all night. Not the, my the, cup of tea. The benches are lined with chain mail. I mean, <laughs> I like a comfy chair. <laughs> 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 okay if that's all we have then we'll wrap this up thank you so much and we will talk next time it's good to see you good to see you too kim thanks for listening you can find johanna at johannawittenberg.com where you'll find a free short story a prequel to her norse queen series and you can find me ks at ksbarton.com where you can also find a free short story from me, a prequel to my Norse family series. See you next time.